brought together. It is tearing. The, it is the spirit of the Antichrist. So I just think that we need to be really careful of how quick we're calling them. But we also can put up with this sin in our church as a kind of a pet sin. And I right. think it's important for us to recognize in this text that by Peter being rebuked by Paul, Paul did not say you're a racist because you did this act. Right, and I think that's why I'm saying we jump so quickly. You know like you know yes. better, you are not walking. You, you know better. You're not walking in line with it, and so I just think that we are real quick with calling people racist and and being able to do that because I, because I think we under you so, know so, this so we started with the what 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 do we do question, and the, one of the first things came out was the lament, the feeling, the grief, the the bearing his burdens. I think we kind of gone now into more of that kind of confronting racism. Um, and I, I think probably this is something that we should talk about, like how we do that. What's that like? At the, what does that require in the family and, and, and that sort of thing? Yeah, I mean, there's a thing called the communication pyramid, which pretty much says there's five levels of communication. The most superficial is cliche. Good morning. Good morning. How are you? You said stuff, but you really haven't communicated. Levels two and three, it's where most guys live. It's kind of sports center talk. Level two is facts sharing what you know, who won the game, who's the greatest of all time, Michael Jordan, of course, the hottie. Uh, <laughs> level three is opinion, sharing what you think. But then levels four and five are indicator lights for the strongest marriage, friendships. Uh, level four is emotive, it's sharing how I feel. And then level five is transparency, it's sharing who you are. Well, when, when incidents like um, George Floyd, uh, Ahmaud Arbery happen, um, minority communities typically go level four, like where there's an emotive sense. And historically, our white brothers and sisters have been, well, level two, let's just, let's just wait on the facts. Now, you know, all of us are married here, and I'm gonna go out on a limb. When our wives come to us in level four, and we hang out at lawyer land level two, that's, that hadn't worked out well for me, right? Uh, I'm not saying there's not a place for facts, but while facts may be a, a first resort in the court of law, in the court of human relationships, I think we need to first stop and feel before we resurface to facts. Yeah. Facts do not change a mind, first of all. Friendships change minds. And so there's an engagement that has to happen. And we got to build some, some things together. Because even, even proximity might breed empathy, but it doesn't breed friendship. There has to be an engagement into the reality of the people's life. I think we need to listen. I think we need to love. I do think we need to lament. A pastor friend of mine said that he went to Birmingham, he went to the church that was blown up at one time, and he said there were three girls that died. And he said he found out that the three girls that died, one of the members in his church was a member of that family and he said my lamenting went to another level because now I'm engaged with that person so I think we love I think we listen I think we leverage and I think all this God's given us a possibility we're leveraging the gospel in ways that brings that Christ in flesh to where we we feel compassion compassion is your pain in my heart you know, as we think about that idea of lament and that we all see that that is step one to what do we do, you know, lament. Like, again, going back to the text where it says that it was more than just a lament, yeah. you know, there was a confrontation. Yep. And so let's talk a little bit about the confrontation 
that, that took place because not only was this confrontation taking place, this confrontation was a public confrontation. And he gives reason, the Bible gives reason why he had a public confrontation. You know, where it just simply, it specifically says, I had to rebuke him in front of everybody because he was leading people away, even the encourager, the one who's known for encouragement, even him, he had to be, he had to be also, was being led astray. So clearly we'll talk about the public confrontation in a minute, but let's just be honest. Um, this has to start in our own families, our own, our own, I mean, we've all been in situations, haven't we, where whether it was people in the church or extended family where, you know, Uncle Bob says something at the Thanksgiving table and, and you got a choice of what to do there, right? And that's, that's hard, but is it worth it? Is it worth, you know, saying, hey, this is not in line with the truth of the gospel. And this is not what I want my children to hear and to, to grow up thinking as normal. Right? So I think it has to start privately. Yeah, yeah I think that's a good word. I think... I think it's almost a point, I, and, and Dahadi, I love what you're saying about he did it publicly in this case because he felt like there was a necessity to do that. I also think we always have to remember the difference between prescriptive and descriptive mm -hmm. passages of Scripture. This is not a prescriptive yeah. where Paul is saying, here's the way you always handle confrontation. It's descriptive yeah. about a situation that took That's place. Um, and in this situation, obviously, it's, it's Paul, it's Peter. There was a relational equity. I think we live in a culture especially with the social media thing where we love to do stuff publicly. And I think the thing that bothers me the most about it is there's always an assumption of the worst. And for the believer, for the brother and sister in Christ in confrontation, the beginning point must be I need to assume the best of my brother and then communicate to clarify. I need to assume the best of you as my brother in Christ, but then I need to, we need to talk about this. I need to clarify to make sure where we are now obviously this was a case where peter had repeatedly done some things that were a lifestyle practice and he sinned as a possible he'd sin publicly uh, but even in public sin it doesn't necessarily mean that it has to be public confrontation immediately it, that's not always that's what i'm saying about this is descriptive not prescriptive this is this is this is how it happened in this case but it's not like every time you see somebody you have to go you know i, I just know for me Personally, it's helped me when some people have come to me come alongside and come alongside and spoken into my life. And then the repentance needs to be public if the sin is public. But to say that the confrontation has to be, I'm not sure. The repentance needs to be as public as the sin. But the confrontation needs to be led by the Holy Spirit. It needs to be speaking the truth in love. It needs to be assuming the best. It needs to be yeah. communicating to clarify. Um, and it needs to try to, you know, understand what's in their heart and help them see a different way. But but I hear totally what you're saying about why. But one of the things, one of the reasons that it was important, I think, in this particular case, that it was done in front of everyone, is the hypocrisy was done in front of everyone, and Peter was a leader. Mm. And so, so part of what he's doing when he calls Peter out, I don't think it was to humiliate Peter and embarrass him, because I don't think Peter would be easily humiliated or embarrassed, to be honest with you. But I think that it was more also to let the Gentile believers who are new, right? I see you. And so, so he's not just saying something to Peter. He's saying something in front of the ones who are being marginalized. Yeah. So that he is elevating them. And he's also saying, hey, I'm, if I, uh, Peter and I are both Jews. We both get all this. You know, we've been eating kosher our whole lives. Yeah. But because you guys are new and you're, you're the Gentiles in the room, I want you to know if I have to choose my Jewishness or my gospel brothers, 
And he's communicating that then. We talked about that in a previous yeah. session. That like this whole Acts 15 deal where, where the council comes together. They're saying we don't want to make it hard for the Gentiles to come to God. We need more white prophets speaking to white systems, yeah, right. right? And that we need to cry out and we need more public. Like we don't need any more side, you know, behind the table conversations. We need more public outcry, and that's what we see. There was some conversation that was taking place inside. He went yeah. to the Jerusalem Council and he had that individual yeah. conversation. Now it was brought out into we real should, life and situations. Well, we film this and put it out. <laughs> don't, don't mishear what I'm. I'm not saying that this doesn't need to be addressed publicly. Right. But I'm saying, like for example, let's just say Paul had gone to Peter privately, mm -hmm. confronted him. Peter repented, and they publicly then stood in front of the whole group and repented and called it out together, having reconciled that. It still could have been, I think it needs to be addressed publicly, and you know me, I'm a, I'm a, I, I push on this hard as I travel across our denomination and speak. Um, I just think we're living in a culture today of a gotcha culture where we just, I don't want to, by what we're saying, put a stick in everybody's hand that I can just, well, I saw JD, so I'm going on Twitter, and I'm calling him out, you know? Keep in mind, Paul's discipling Titus. He's got Titus with him. Titus has not been circumcised, not going to. Thank God that he doesn't have to. Timothy does, and he's saying, sorry, pal, but, but because Timothy's ministry was going to be to the Jews, he did not want to be a stumbling block. It would have been a stumbling block for Titus to have been circumcised and to go back to the old law. So Paul's real, it's important that his Timothy here, which is his Titus, so to speak, but his disciple, the one he's discipling, understands the gospel. What Jimmy said is so powerful. You know, this whole idea of advocacy, yeah. um, it's, it's really powerful. If, if I'm a Gentile in one of the churches in Galatia and I've got, I've got a Jew advocating on my behalf and calling out another Jew. I mean, I see this dynamic all the time in multi-ethnic churches where, you know, I, I think if, if a white person does something that's out of step with the gospel, as one translation says, it's really effective if another white person calls this person out. Yeah. And it works the other way as well. You know, you know sometimes African-Americans can say stuff that's just, and I see some of my white brothers get handcuffed by political correctness or white guilt, whatever it may be, and there needs to be some African Americans on staff to say, "Hey, let me just pull you to the side," and you know th this rhetoric really isn't helpful here, and let's have that conversation. If if I could take it one other direction, just because I know this is a real issue we do within our churches, um, you when when we get into the political season, and you've got particularly people of color that are wounded by the statements that certain politicians make. Um, I've been told, George Yancey, and you've also told me the same thing, that because the assumption is that the majority of white evangelical Christians vote a particular way, and I think statistically that bears out, you know, George Yancey said, they need to hear with crystal clarity your voice condemning the wrong things, the denigrating things that are said. Right. Because they assume, based on the statistics, that you align with a particular political party. Um, if that's the case, they need to be clear that 
you do not agree with the things that are being spoken that, and that to me is a, an application of Galatians 2. I need to stand up and publicly say, I think this is offensive. I think it is wrong. It is insulting. And I am as insulted as you are, even though he wasn't talking about me. And that's important to, to communicate that to the Gentiles, so to speak, in the audience. Yeah, I think that's wise. Yep. So we solved the problem. I think it's vital because if we don't identify with the people who feel marginalized, and again, yeah. this isn't the time to throw stats, right? I, I, to me, one of the most infuriating things is when someone's hurting and you think, you know what would make them feel better right now? Some stats. And so, and so that's where I think being able to identify and say, hey, listen, you know, we may not see everything the same way. It may not land on me the way it lands on you, but I, I want you to, I can see how this makes you feel and it's wrong and we've got to do better. And the real, the real problem is JD, I think even more, more um, harmful is when we try to Christianize certain policy positions or uh, candidates or party platforms and we insist on Christianizing them, which even takes it another level from this, this is my own political or policy preferences, but now these are actually God's policy preferences. And people need to hear us identifying with how they feel without us trying to box them in with our Christianese uh, and, our, and, our, and mixing up our, our policy preferences or politician preferences with our, with our yeah. gospel imperatives. Wow. Yeah. Okay. So, no, and I think this is really good conversation. I think you framed it well, JD, at the very beginning, is what do we do? That we got to recognize that this is more than a statement. But Cephas was walking in contradiction to the statement. So whenever, whether it's a political party, a denomination, affiliation, or whatever, is walking not in step with the gospel, it is incumbent on us as Christians to do something. Right. And we talked about the idea of grieving, lamenting, you know, humanizing, We've talked about that the activity of doing something. And whether that's public or you know, or private, the idea is that we are called to do something. Yeah. Because it's about walking instead of in conclusion, let's not overlook as this came out. You know, part of the what to do was there was relationships built that were the bridges over which these conversations could happen. That's right. Because if you're just going from you know catastrophe to catastrophe, then you can't. But when in the, the times of those relationships are built, like the ones we have here. That enables us to have the conversations that we need, and then the willingness to rebuke publicly or privately or confront. You know, I think those are all elements of what to do. Yeah, yeah. Good, that's good. Well, fellas, this is a great conversation. I really appreciate you in participating in this conversation, recognizing that it is more than a statement. All right, sister, can you hit the lights there? Let's try to take a quick five-minute break. There's a lot that I'd like to unpack. Quick five minutes. I got the recorder on. I got your sister, uh, Gianna and Chris. <laughs> Unless you don't want to take a break. <laughs> Give me this wall of coffee, but I'll be right back. Let's take a couple minutes just to stretch our legs. Just a couple minutes. Just a couple minutes.
Mr. Paul, how's it going? upon your expertise. Okay. So, I'm helping Grace out, swapping some parts out on the okay. car. Okay. So, her old parts uh -huh. has a little bit of street value. Okay. Think maybe you could use your eBay skills. Okay. Um. Are you still active? I am. Um. Give me some specifics on the part. Like, oh, I will. I'll give, you, I'll give you background. Well, like, what it, like, what's oh, the... right now, it's the center console out of her Mustang uh -huh. with a push-button start. She wanted that gone. Mm -hmm. So I couldn't just replace the 12-volt adapter. So I had to replace the center console. Mm -hmm. He priced so, it on eBay, found it cheaper. Yeah. Well, and I actually picked one up at a salvage yard. Are you looking to buy a new... No, no, no. When I replace it, I'm going to uh -huh. have her old part. Uh-huh. So, looking to sell it. Okay. So What's the... What would you just say guesstimate weight? Is it like really, really heavy? Because sometimes that can be. No, it's the problem is the size. The size. Yeah, because it's a piece of plastic that big. Um, a couple pounds. Oh, okay. So typically on eBay, one of these without push button start runs thirty bucks. Thirty bucks. Uh -huh. Ten dollars mm -hmm. shipping. Mm -hmm. But she has a sixty dollar push button start mm -hmm. wiring system. I'm trying to pull the whole wire harness. Mm -hmm. So I've seen these. I don't know. She can get anything for it. Yeah. Yeah, I will. Um, so I'll, I'll, I'll box it up to what it would cost to ship it. Yeah, shoot me some of the specifics about it, and I'll see what I can do with that. I will say, with, you send me first like the title of everything, and I'll do some research on it on a seller end <laughs> to uh, see um, like how much it sells for, how often it sells. Um, sometimes like, I could give an estimate as to. How much of a cut eBay would take? I can't get a straight value from them. Sometimes they're like twelve point six five. I'm like, okay, why that number? Um, so yeah, definitely shoot that over. I'll, I'll look. In fact, I sent some to Logan. This is what we're talking about. That's the one I picked up as a salad jar. Yeah, that's not. That wouldn't be too heavy. I didn't know how heavy you were. Yeah, so like I said, I found one, two, three, four of them on eBay. But these are just the trim. Hers instead of that. I just went to the eyes off. Like I said, the push button and the wiring is 60 bucks in America. Yeah. But I feel comfortable. Yeah, definitely. Send that over. So at the end, she gets paid back. Yeah, I know eBay, they take at least, it depends on the category, but usually in the realm of somewhere between 12 to 15%, and then it would depend on how you listed it, there's various extra fees depending on it. You bring up the point about how yeah, if you text it over to me, I will give you a rough estimate as to how much you would bring home in the end. Because um, then at that point, truly, I don't know if it it could be worth your while. I don't know. I'm saying, like, which I don't know. I'd have to research if it would be better. I don't know if there are places you buy those parts. I know with my items, for me, my bed. 757? 7084. Can I give him a new hobby, please? Please do not give him a new hobby. It's addictive. So, I told Grace she wants to do all these mods, and I'm like, you know, we can recover the cost of your old part, 
helps helps make it okay. Yep, yeah, helps the dent a little bit. <laughs> All right. Uh, Elijah had something really important to say. No, you're... <laughs> no it's okay. It's okay. It's okay. We're... No, you're okay. We Elijah has something important to say. Later. Well, thank you so. I, I like picking on Elijah. Okay. All right. <laughs> um, sign in. Has everyone signed in? No. Okay. So I I tried to get everyone, but if you could just check as you leave the door that I that I got you. No, it's all right. Hey, I Bill, think put I, my ex on there. I got you, Roger. Okay. <laughs> yeah. So there were a, there were some really good things that were said, at least in my thought my. I don't know if good is, I'm not a, I'm kind of affirming some of what was said. There's some good content in there, so I just wanted to hear um, your thoughts. But I wanted to share something for you, just to show y'all how real this is and how, how this issue is still not alive and well, but it's definitely something that shaped our history as Southern Baptists. Um, I'll pick on the our convention, our denomination a little bit, because you know some of us aren't super Southern Baptists, so to give you a way out. All right. So you can just say, oh, I, you know, that's not me. So this summer we had the uh, national convention in um, L.A. And every year there's resolutions that Southern Baptist Convention passes. A resolution is basically a, it is a clause that everyone commits and agrees on and it's a stance on a particular position. And so this one here is on religious liberty, forced conversion, and freedom, excuse me, and the Federal Indian Boarding School Initiative Investigative Report is what it's called. Long story short, the convention says, uh, the resolution says, the Bureau of Indian Affairs Investigation Report released May 2022 documents and records that Native United States maliciously targeted Native American, Alaskan Native, and Native Hawaiian children as part of a, part of a diabolical plan to dispossess these people groups from their native lands by forced assimilation through the establishment of mandatory boarding schools, whereas between 1819 and 1969, the federal Indian boarding school system consisted of, and there's a bunch of numbers, um, the federal government subcontracted with religious organizations, which were not Southern Baptist for this particular incident, so that gives you another out. Um, to operate these schools in order to accomplish force, conversion, and assimilation of indigenous children to Christianity. So basically it was, this is about as systematic as it gets. The government subcontracted schools to convert or assimilate native children in Hawaii and in America using Christianity to force them into... Um, a culture and a religious system that wasn't their own. But in the process of doing so, like they beat these children, they abused these children. They, some of the children were, had died. They murdered some of these children. Mm -hmm. There were mass graves uncovered across the country and Canada. They're still figuring this stuff out. And so under the supervision of Christian discipleship maybe i don't know if that's not that's not true that's not an accurate word but as they're trying to make in their way yeah um it's just hard to but this was done under the 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 cover of the church and so the southern baptist convention came out last summer um, and said hey this is wrong 
way wrong. Wow, was it wrong, right? And this isn't the first time they've done this. This this convention usually comes out mm-hmm. and says, hey, oh, by the way, this other thing is wrong. There's a lot of resolutions that they've figured out was wrong. But the fact is, these things happen. So I wanted to share that with you all just to let you know how... Um, like how real these things are that happen um, and, and what is at stake. Now there's an entire generation of people, and I don't speak for Native people. I do not. I got a dear brother who's Native, Mark Custolo. Some of y'all might know Mark. He was affiliated with our church for a while. He's, um, did, Dalton, did you know Mark Custolo? Mark used to come visit from time to time. He's preached here a couple times. Mark's in Oklahoma now at a, a Native American Baptist church out there. But he loves Jesus and he loves Southern Baptist, but he's been called to Native people. There is an entire generation of people who have so much trauma and psychological hurt through what's happened. And so, like, imagine trying to share the gospel of Jesus Christ with them. Y'all understand what I'm saying? Like, that's what's at stake. And so, um, this conversation, like, we need to prevent that from happening. Again, because, like, we have this historical bias where, oh, well, that was, that was then. We're not doing that now. Like, I don't know what we're doing now. I pray we're light years away from that stuff. But anyway, um, government can change laws, not hearts. What do y'all think about that? Both with what I said or what Diane said. Uh, the government cannot change hearts. Okay. Look at what's going on in the higher education system. They're cranking out young people in a specific direction with a specific thought, and it's changing society. Mm-hmm. And it's purposeful. changing their thinking. Yeah, it's changing their thinking. Yeah. But college and beyond, there's public colleges and private colleges, and yes. not everyone goes to college, and there's Christian colleges and secular colleges, and but they are in the minority. call that government changing their hearts and minds. It could be values. Reestablishing, changing values. Yes. They are redefining what value is and is yes. not. And so I see what you're saying in that. Yes. Laws can sh- shift people's perception and value look at, of look things. Look where our society is right now. Dolores said something. I want to. So can you speak up? Say that one more time, Dolores. Don't hit her feelings. Well, you're on the spot. Spotlight's on you, girl. No, you said something. I want to, I want to hear it. Oh, Lord. I don't know what I said. Okay. <laughs> All right. Oh, that's good. I said he could, you're changing minds, not heart. Is that what you heard? And I said they started them young. Oh, this wow. is true. Yeah. That's what I said. Okay. That's how you, they started young on. now. They try to reach the younger, younger ones. That's how you change. That's, that's how, how you change. change. Yeah. change. Whole, yeah. And so many parents don't pay attention to what their kids are
to push transgender sex change on people that are children that are in kindergarten, first, second grade. And it's not happening in one little state in the union. It's not happening in one little city. We hear this across the nation. You don't hear it on ABC Evening News or anything. You have to go out there and look for it. But it's happening. And it's a concerted effort by people that have power, have control, that make policy. You know, we hear of drag queens in public library for story reading time. Why is there this concerted effort? The people that are doing it, what's the end goal? What they, you, what, what, what's Chris Dale say? Give me your young and I'll give them back to you when they're 10 years old. Exactly. Give them to our society is fundamentally changed. COVID's done a lot to it over the past three years, and it's fundamentally changing, not for the good. The, one of the things that were, go ahead, Josh. I was going to jump in. Uh, dang, I love you. <laughs> the thing is, I actually disagree with you can't legislate morality. I mean, all legislation is based on morality. Mm -hmm. um, every An single individual's morality is what I mean. Oh, yeah. well, yes. Like, you can make moral legislation, yes. but legislation isn't going to change yeah. somebody's individual morality. I, I just also, the thing is that, yes, being specific about that, I think, is more important because if we look at, like, if we're going to say that you can't legislate morality, then it's like, well, what? Well, well every, think of everything, every kind of legislation that comes through. Like, just mm -hmm. even the most basic that everybody universally understands murder is wrong. Why is it wrong? That's mm -hmm. when we get into the ontological discussion of why is it wrong because there's. Or like every 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 other kind of bill that's passed, like say, like a bill that's titled "No Child Left Behind," for example, they give you an ontological reason, like why we should do this, because it appeals to some kind of somebody's morality or like an emotional state of morality, of like oh well, we don't want to leave children behind, mm -hmm. you know, kind of thing. So if you look at all legislation, it is all based on morality, and the arguments for that say like even in our own and even in Congress, they will use ontological reasons, which is the argument of why something's right or something's wrong. Mm -hmm. uh, something's right or something's wrong.